everyone. Hello. Guys, wasn't that like the best worship ever? That just felt so good. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. So we are in week two of our series, All Access. Last week. Oh, you can't see me? I'm sorry. All right. Now you guys can see my face. I'm sorry. I'm not as tall as Tim. My name is Jordan Himes. If we've never, never met before, I'm the student ministry resident which right now means that when Tim's away at a conference, I get to talk to you guys. Woo! It's so exciting. All right, so last week, Tim got to talk to you about the veil in the temple, the curtain that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the Israelites believed that God himself actually dwelt. And if you'll remember, last week we actually had a curtain back here in front of the cross to represent that veil. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. And we talked about what happened at Jesus' death on the cross. When Jesus breathed his last scripture says the curtain was torn from top to bottom, revealing the holy of holies to everyone and giving us all full access to God. That's some good news, right? God, this makes me excited. So cool. But I kind of feel, I kind of feel like the bearer of bad news tonight because Tim got to tell you guys the best news ever. That Jesus won the battle for us on the cross. Woo! And I get to talk about, I get to talk about the yucky stuff that still gets in the way. So that's why we have this one closing us off, right? So I get to talk to you about temptation. And let me tell you guys, I've really, really struggled. Um, with how to talk about this, because it's not something we really want to talk about, right? We don't, n- nobody wants to talk about temptation and sin because it's the ugly stuff. Okay, so according to the dictionary, is this turned on? Hold on. Give me just a second. Where did it, oh, it is off. There we go. All right, so according to the dictionary, to tempt is to entice to do wrong by promise of pleasure or gain. I tend to picture temptation as the, the shady guy in a movie that's got the long trench coat and he's selling watches out of his coat. You know what I'm talking about? Or, or the evil queen in Snow White who's dangling an apple in front of a princess's face. Temptation is this thing that distracts us from the things that we know we should be doing and tries to lure us into sin with the things that are appetizing to us, the things that appeal to our tastes and our desires. And we see temptation at work all throughout scripture from the very beginning. Temptation is what led to the fall and got us into this whole mess of sin in the first place, right? The serpent approaches Eve in the garden and dangles the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in front of her face. Genesis 3 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. So he's already twisting God's words here. He's already questioning God's authority. He's already questioning God's directions. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But Eve doesn't get it exactly right here either. God actually says in Genesis 2, 
You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. None of this, lest you die, nonsense. You shall surely die. So God actually gives Adam and Eve this huge gift, right? The Garden of Eden, paradise on earth. And he tells them you can have all of these good things. I'm telling you, there's got to be more than one tree in the garden, right? They had all of that um, available to them. And he told them you could have all of these good things that I've given you. But, but Eve is focusing on the one thing she can't have. And then it says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And from that moment on, there was sin in the world. The temptation of the serpent, who was actually Satan, we know that, right? The temptation did its job of luring Adam and Eve into sin, which is this thing that separates us from God. And we're still dealing with the consequences of that decision today. We're still struggling with temptation and sin every day of our lives. I kind of think of it as this disease or an injury that never quite heals. It's gross stuff, right? It's ugh. Temptation has, has this way of getting under our skin, getting us where we're most vulnerable, and ultimately affecting our heart. So there's this TV show that I've been watching with one of my best friends, and it's called The Good Doctor. Has anybody heard of it before? Yeah, a few of you. It's so good. Um, yeah, so basically the premise of the show is it's about a surgical resident named Sean Murphy. That's him. And Sean, Sean is different. Because Sean has autism, and he also has savant syndrome. So the savant syndrome basically means that he's ridiculously smart. He sees things in a way that a lot of us just don't understand. I mean, that makes it, that makes him a really, really good doctor. But um, the auti- because of the autism, he really struggles to effectively communicate and interact with other people. And we'll come, we'll come back to that in a little bit. But in the first episode of the show, Sean is in the airport, and there's this huge glass sign that's hanging from the ceiling. And there's, there's a crew working on it, but they accidentally unscrew it. And it comes crashing down into the wall, and it shatters. And there's this kid under it. And instantly, this kid falls to the ground in a battle for his life. There's cuts and scrapes all over him, a gash in his neck, a shard of glass lodged in his side. It's, ugh, it's gross. And throughout the episode, the doctors and the nurses are trying to remove all of the shards. Um, They're looking at these larger wounds, focusing on them. But when he's in surgery toward the end of the episode, he's still dying, and they, they don't know why. What they find out is that the tiniest sliver of glass had made its way into his bloodstream and was moving toward his heart. The good news is they found it, and they got it out, and the kid lived. Woo, it's really exciting. But temptation works that way. Sometimes sometimes we're struggling with a temptation that everyone can see. Sometimes we're walking through a rough point in our lives, and everyone knows about it, right? Sometimes it looks like something that we, like we can't keep it off our face, or our family's told everyone, so it's out and everyone knows. Um, and these people come around you, and they try to help you, and they do a lot of good. 
but there's still something stuck inside you that just won't let you heal. A lot of the time it's something small, something only you know is there, something other people can't see when they look at you. It's a secret. When you're caught by sin and temptation, sometimes it feels like you're so close to being healed, to being free from it, that you can taste it. But some small part of yourself is still turned toward that temptation, that small part of you that just can't seem to let it go. You feel it holding you back. It's like the rope that keeps you out of the VIP section, right? And sometimes we feel like, I can't, I can't get that close to you, God, because I have this brokenness, I have this temptation, this addiction, this sin, and I can't, I can't let you see it. And then that wound becomes infected with shame and guilt. We feel like we can't show our face. We can't tell anyone what's really going on, so we just let it sit inside us, under the surface where no one can see, and we tell ourselves that we can take care of it on our own. Have you guys ever heard someone say, God never gives you more than you can handle? You guys heard that phrase? I used to hear this from adults around me all the time, and something about it just didn't really sit right with me. The struggles I was facing at the time just felt too big. And I heard myself saying, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. So I turned to the internet, and I looked up the verse that people were referencing when they would say this to me. And it's 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. And this is what it says. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The first verse here, uh, verse 12, really stands out to me because it's acknowledging the nature of sin that we've already been talking about. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We may think that we're all good, right? We may project that image that we're all good, everything's fine. But sin or that temptation could still be lurking inside us. Then it goes on to say, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Oops, skip part. There we go. <clears throat> He's not necessarily, necessarily saying here that temptation is something you can handle on your own. It's saying that you'll never be the only one to deal with that temptation. If you struggle with lust or with material desires or gossip or lying or whatever, You are not the first or the only one to walk that path. You are not alone in that struggle. Satan would love to tell you that, but he's lying. And then here's the good news. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The word faithful here implies a bond. Like a faithful husband who stands by his wife. God is saying, we're in this together. I'm not going to leave you. We're going to fight. You're not going to fight this on your own. And then it says, he will provide. He'll provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And that's what's really cool about the fact that the veil was torn. About the path that Jesus opened up with a sacrifice on the cross. Not only do we have full access to God... But it freed the path for the Holy Spirit that lives inside us. So have you guys heard the word Pentecost before? You know what that means? Basically, it was this huge event 
where the Holy Spirit came down. And for everyone who believed in Jesus, believed that what he did was true, believed that he was the Son of God, the Holy Spirit came right here. And suddenly we are full of the, of the Spirit that was this, full of the same power that rose Jesus from the dead on the third day. Dudes, that's so cool. Oh my gosh. Right? So in this, in this passage, the path of escape The way of escape that Paul's talking about here is the Holy Spirit. When we admit that we're broken and we can't do it on our own and we believe that Jesus is God and the Lord of our lives and we confess to him and we accept that gift he's given, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And from that moment on, we are never alone. We are never fighting a battle with no one to help us. God is fighting every fight with us. So when sin and temptation come into our lives and infect us with shame and guilt, we feel like we can't come to God with it. But he already knows. He's lived it right alongside us. Jesus faced all of these temptations and struggles when he was walking this earth the same way that you or I walk this earth. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, when God looks at us, He doesn't see the yuck. He doesn't see the brokenness and the ways that we failed. He sees the grace that Jesus has covered us in. And he looks on us with love and he says, I know you. I chose you. And I'm going to make good on the promise to love you as my child. We're going to walk through this together. I'm not going to leave you. And what you've done doesn't change how I feel about you, not even for a second. My life verse is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I might have shared shared this with you guys before, but it says this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I've struggled a lot with guilt in my life. One of my biggest fears is that I will fail to live up to other people's expectations. And even when I have failed and fallen short and people have come around me and forgiven me, I feel like I can't forgive myself. I feel like I've, I've lessened my impact on the world because, like, people can't trust me because they see that I'm not infallible. I'm not perfect. But this verse tells us the exact opposite is true. When we fail, when we fall into the cycle of temptation, sin, and addiction, God's power shines brightest. Because he's the only one who can break the chains. He can break that cycle. And when that power works in us, People see it. At the youth group where I volunteered when I was in college, we did a few things at the beginning of each week, and one of the things that we did uh, was we lit a candle that was inside a broken vase. And it was this reminder that God shines through our brokenness. Hold on. When we're vulnerable and let other people see the ways that we've fallen short and the struggles we've been through, we also let them see the ways that God has been faithful. The ways that he has walked alongside us and grown us and made us more like him. Guys, if we were never broken, we wouldn't need grace. If we could do it on our own, we would never need to turn to God. But we are broken, and we can't do it on our own. 
So God gave us his grace and his power to help us in our low points. And then that becomes our testimony. We get to tell others about how God came in and made us whole. How when, he straight, how when we strayed for him, he came running after us and brought us back to him with his love. So when we're faced, when we're faced with temptation, there are a few tools that he gives us in scripture. And these are on your sheet. Number one is get temptation out of your line of sight. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above. James 4.7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's all saying, get out of the situation. If you can get out of it, get out. If you can put that bag of chips or that package of hostess, I don't know, Twinkies, up on a shelf where you can't reach it, if you're short like me, then do that. Get it out of your sight. Get it out of the way. So you're not staring at it all the time. Number two is replace temptation with the truth. We talked briefly about how Jesus was tempted like we were. And we see that in Matthew 4. When we see the enemy tempting Jesus, Jesus responds every time with the truth of Scripture. So at the beginning, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry, guys. So Satan comes in and he's like, you're God, just turn these rocks into bread. You won't be hungry anymore. But Jesus quotes scripture. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan comes at him again, and Jesus again quotes the word. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan comes at him one last time, offering him everything the world has if Jesus would just fall down and worship Satan. But Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So here's here's the catch on this number, guys. This only works if you know the word, right? So if you don't know the scriptures that are going to arm you against the temptations you're facing, you're not going to be able to defend yourself. So get into the word. If you don't know where to look, if you don't know where to start, use Google. Seriously, type in what you're struggling with and find scripture that talks about it. Talk to someone you trust who might know of passages you can look to as well. Number three is allow the great physician to operate in your life. So God has been compared to a doctor. This is another one of his names, the great physician. And he's like the good doctor that we talked about earlier. He's the one that can get even the tiniest pieces of temptation and sin out of our systems. He's the one who can make sure those wounds are truly healed. But here's the thing. You've got to let him in. You've got to let him do his work. And just like Sean and the good doctor struggled to interact in the way other people expect, sometimes God doesn't work in the way that we expect him to. He's not always a clear voice. Hello, I am God. Go do this. Doesn't happen, right? We wish it did because that'd be awesome, right? But if we trust him, and if we let him do what he does, he'll bring us out of it. Number four is commit to a decision not to sin. Even after we've gone through all of these steps, sometimes the desires of our heart get the better of us. We have a human heart. We have human desires. Sometimes those are not the best desires, correct? Yeah. But it says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
We have to make a commitment to protect our heart from the things it desires that are not good for us. We can do this through prayer. Guys, prayer is the huge one here. Ask God to align the desires of your heart with the desires of his. And this comes through a lifelong process where we come to a place where we decide to love God more than we love ourselves. And we choose to be a servant to him rather than a servant to our own desires. And we do this by spending time with him, learning from him, falling in love with him. It's not something that's going to happen in a day. Not even a week, not even a month or a year. It's something we're working through our whole lives. And I'll leave you with this one last thing. Number five is get support. This one might be one of the biggest things. Because sin works in silence. If you don't tell anyone what's going on in your life, if you keep it inside yourself, nobody's going to know. And you think that's the right thing. Like, nobody knows, everybody thinks I'm fine, Everything. so then I'm fine, right? It's only going to grow. It will only grow. <clears throat> so find friends or adults that you trust. Talk to your parents, your small group leaders, a teacher, and let them know what's going on. Be open with them and give them permission to help hold you accountable as you work through this. Accountability is so, so good. I have the opportunity to be an accountability for part, a, <laughs> accountability partner for other people. So I get to ask them, check in with them regularly. Hey, how's this going for you? All right, cool. Let's walk through that. Let's pray through it together. And I have people who are accountability partners with me who say like, hey, Jordan, how's this thing going? I'm like, well, okay. So this happened and they're like, all right, it's fine. Let's pray through it and we'll work to it. Right? Guys, Again, temptation is not going to be gone in a day. It's going to take time. But the thing I want to leave you with is God is with you. He's living inside of you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are rooting for you. Seriously. And his grace is covering you. Let's pray. Hey, Jesus, um, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you did on the cross. And thank you that we can be free from temptation and sin as we lean on you. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit that gives us our way of escape. Um, God, I just pray that you would be with these students as they're, they're walking through life and um, they're struggling with temptation and sin and drama and all of this stuff, God, just let them know that you're there. Let them know that you are present and give them the support that they need from their parents, from their small group leaders, whoever it needs to be, God. Um, God, I pray that it was, as we go into our small groups that those small groups would be a safe space that they can come to. God, you are so good. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.